0: Who's your best friend, Charlie? Hugo.
1: Is he an imaginary friend?
0: No, he's my real friend. Then why can't I see him? Only I Charlie, it's
2: because he's not real. Which is fine for when you're little. But you're a
1: big girl now. Rat! Mm -hmm.
0: Morning, Rat! Don't you ever sleep in?
1: Unless you don't need an alarm clock.
2: Dream that we (laughs) <laughs> Guy, it's my daughter, Charlie. Guy, he's a pilot for the ABC. Oh, no, no,
3: no, I'm not, I don't actually fly. I'm making a pilot for the ABC. Do you love him?
0: How could I love him? I've only just met him.
3: Too soon for love. So you can't
0: touch anything? Nope. Try and touch me. <laughs> Come on. Oh, Dad's just gone to town.
1: I'm doing the interviews. Nothing <laughs> is no one. I'm gonna need some manly advice, mate. Have you ever been in love, Roger? Yes, I have. You'll never know me like I do. Yeah, well,
0: at least he can touch me.
1: Leave them. That's the
2: trailer for new romantic drama, The Pretend One. Hello, and welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. My name is Matthew Eels. In this episode, I'm joined by three very special guests. Geraldine Haquell from TV's Wanted, Michael Wally from Creve Stenders' The Principal, and director Tony Prescott, who are all here to discuss this brilliant new film. It's been a long time coming, but the pretend one is having its world premiere at the Gold Coast Film Festival on Thursday the 26th of April. If you need to be convinced any more to see this film, you can read my 5 star review over at cinemaaustralia.com.au. There are four people discussing this film during this episode. You know what I sound like, but I thought it was worth pointing out that Mike has a Kiwi accent while Tony has the Aussie accent. Uh, this is a longer episode than usual, so let's get straight into it. Anyway, enjoy.
0: He does have a conscience in some way, but he's kind of like a uh, just a, a madman who can out-drink, out-last, out-fun out everyone all the time. Luke's interpretation of that was uh, probably more extreme than what I had written on the page or envisaged myself.
2: The day that we were going out to shoot the open water scenes, we were told that there were some dead whale carcasses that were bringing in real tiger sharks and great white sharks, and they'd been sighted in the area. We were told not to go in the water.
3: But I could just see instantly how talented Rhiannon was, and it really blew me away.
0: There is still a bit of a a boys' club out there, for sure.
2: And also with Dee Wallace, she gave me great input on the script for this to make her have a very pro-choice stance throughout the film. And the simple fact is, the movie, the whole thing occurs because a right-wing guy blows up a clinic. Very organically, somehow, the name The Comet Kids popped up, and we sort of just kind of based the movie around that name. Like, it happened really quickly. We kind of thought, like, that's a really great name for a movie. Like, what is what, who are The Comet Kids?
0: We just thought it was very, very important to uh, start writing more roles for women, and uh, women not just, as I said, as girlfriends, mothers, and people in love, but women who are
3: their own people, as we are.
2: <laughs> uh, Tony, Jerry, Mike, thank you very much for taking the time to join the Cinema Australia podcast. It's great to have you with us. You're welcome. Thanks,
0: Thanks. Thanks. Nice to be here.
2: Uh, firstly, uh, I'd like to congratulate you all on the film. Uh, my wife and I watched The Pretend One about six months ago and we're still talking about it today. Uh, It makes you question certain parts of your own life and it makes you think about family, relationships, uh, love and loss, but it also makes you think about mental health to an extent. Uh, Above all, though, what impressed me the most was that uh, this film isn't afraid uh, to use imagination. Uh, It's fearless in its execution and we make a lot of drama in Australia with the odd comedy in between, but I've never seen anything quite like the pretend one, so congratulations again. Thank you. Oh, thanks
3: a lot. Yeah, kind words.
2: Um appreciate T- it. Tony, I want to start with you. What's the pretend one about?
3: Um the pretend one is essentially a love triangle. Um in in sorts uh where a young farmer grows up with her imaginary friend uh and he stays around for a little too long. Um and he eventually falls in love with her, which I guess is which I guess is the unique part. Um, but, and I guess you re- and I guess that that slowly unravels that he's been hanging around for, you know, probably inappropriate reasons. Um, that sounded dirty, um, but no, he's actually he's actually you know like you said more of a a soul for mental health. You know, for an issue that happened early on, he appeared and and it, you know he can't leave until that's resolved.
2: Uh Mike so, yeah. and, and Jerry, uh, can I get you both to tell mm-hmm. us about the characters that you play in the film?
0: I play uh oh my god, what's my character's name?
2: Charlie. Charlie. Your character's I name is Charlie.
0: Charlie. <laughs> it's been so long.
3: It has me. been so long. It has oh, been
0: long. a long time. We <laughs> shot edit, it three years out. ago.
3: Yes. <laughs> um
0: <laughs> good start, Jerry. good start. I play Charlie and uh, she is a young woman who grew up very isolated on this farm with her father. Um, her mum died when she was quite young and uh, after this sort of traumatic experience in her childhood, she creates um, Hugo, who's her imaginary friend, and uh, he helps her grow up I guess but um and grow up in a kind of healthy way where she has someone to talk to about her emotional life and her dad's very closed off so she doesn't have that outlet with him and it's a very small community but um through her imaginary friends she gets uh to experience friendship and she gets to experience um uh yeah becoming a becoming a woman um But then she meets a a real guy who comes to town and and she starts to fall for him and actually really starts to grow up and um, the bond between her and her imaginary friend becomes thinner and um, less tangible and he starts to disappear but um, not before he kind of realises that he's falling in love with her and he has his kind of own moment of growing into himself um so yeah it's very um there's a lot of magic realism in it which I really loved and which really attracted me to the script in the first place because like you said it's very rare that that comes along in an Australian film
2: mm-hmm. and uh just for future Q&A's uh your character's name is Charlie we'll, we'll just say that
0: again. <laughs> I'm gonna tattoo it to my hand
2: <laughs> uh Mike uh, do you want
0: to
2: do you want to tell us a bit about uh Hugo? Hugo, that
1: is. It's, it's Hugo. It's Hugo, yeah. So Charlie's imaginary friend, of course, we've established, but he's he doesn't exist um, unless uh, Charlie chooses him to exist, which is, you know, part of his huge conundrum. So they have the best of times and they're the best of friends, but he's also aware, and increasingly so later on in, in his life and the story, that... He does not exist unless Charlie chooses him to exist.
2: This uh, story must have sounded so bizarre on paper. Uh, what, what was your first reaction to, uh, to the script?
1: Well, uh, for, for me, it's, uh, my first reaction is that they're the best of friends and, and this is a buddy movie mm. and, and I had to treat it as though he's a real human. I mean, it's, it's really hard to play imaginary there's no way that Tony can say be more imaginary so it was, it was all about just trying to uh, be be the be the best friend uh, lifelong friend to charlie and then and then figure out uh what what uh complex em- emotions he, he carries on. Uh, with and develops and then see how how you're supposed to deal with those when all of the emotions are actually from the mind of Charlie to begin with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a metaphysical thing that it, it's kind of I, – I, I couldn't really attack it in that way, though. I had to just be absolutely human and, mm-hmm. and see how that was dealt with.
2: Jerry, do you want to uh, add anything to that? What, what was your first reaction to the script?
0: I – um. I remember reading it and I was very moved by it when I first read it and um, that's always a nice sign because that doesn't happen very often but I really connected to um, all of the relationships but especially the relationship that Charlie had with her dad. I thought Mm. that was just really beautifully um, written and created and the idea that you'd (laughs) create an imaginary friend to sort of fill this void that's um, popped up in your life. I mean, we like so many kids have imaginary friends. Um, but often that goes away at a certain point, but the idea of having an adult person continue this relationship because they're so lonely. Um, I just thought that was really lovely. And also that there was just so much unspoken between her and her dad about what had happened earlier in her life. And, um, yeah, I just thought that was really interesting territory to explore and that it was, um, was realised really beautifully in the script. So, yeah, my initial reaction was that I was very moved and so immediately I wanted to do it because um, I think I really respond to stuff that I have an emotional connection to and this was one of them.
2: Would you, would you all agree, all three of you, that uh, this is David Field's best performance?
1: <laughs>
3: it feels like that feels like a trap this question um, but I'll, I'll answer that i um, i think dave field is a phenomenal actor um, and i think and i think oftentimes he plays this really hard character but seeing him show the other side seeing him break seeing him shift i think like, I just loved exposing his range and what Dave Field has in his arsenal in this film. Like, I think he really, he brought so much to it um, just from from breaking away from that really hard, strong character, um, that stoicism and showing those vulnerabilities in such a genuine way. Um, you know, I really think all four of the cast, you know, made had their own job in breaking or growing up or having this resolution to make this film quite powerful. And I think all four actors did it, executed it beautifully. Um, And I think Dave Field, you know, is the same. He went from a strong man to show his weakness. And I think he really did it with authenticity, which, you know, you know, you know, the scene I'm talking about at the end and it really hits you hard. Mm. Everybody said that scene kind of really, really hits hard. And I think it's also because we're not used to, you know, we all have father figures and they're meant to be the strength in the, in the family. The patriarch is meant to be the strength. of so seeing that vulnerability, like seeing your own parents break down, it kind of really mm. gets you, it gets to, you know, somewhere
0: quite especially, personal. Especially that Australian archetype of the, the Stoic farmer, which um, mm. feels like such a trope through literature and film and art and stuff. And to, to see uh, that softer side come through and and the um, start to understand some of the hardships of living that sort of life. Um, I think is really special and unusual.
2: Mm-hmm. He made this uh, watery stuff come out of my eyes. I'm not sure what it was, but uh, there's there quite <laughs> a bit of it. Sweat, uh, It's sweat. It's Don't worry, <laughs> uh, Mike. Can you share a story with us about uh, working with David?
1: Um, yeah, only, well, it's, it's about working with everybody in the, in the whole environment of this, um, fully sort of immersive filmmaking experience. But I mean, we, we sat around the uh, campfire that was built just outside of the mining, uh, dongers that we slept in and, uh, chatted about the day that we'd filmed and the, and the day that we've got it ahead and Dave would just bring his banjo and, and, have a jam and put everyone at ease i mean it's you know it's rel- it's relatively um stressful making a film and you're thinking about what sort of oppression impressions you've made and what did you grab and what sort of things you wanted to have filmed in the day and 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 the goals for the next day, but Dave would just put everybody at ease around the campfire each night and and play some tunes and get everybody um, singing, and that was yeah, just yeah. like his experience of, of filmmaking made. Like he he was aware that we were we were all relatively new, I suppose, and in, in relation to his experience, and he knew that that was what he could bring to the to the table off the off the field. Um, you know, <laughs> the,
3: <laughs> I think I think it's also hard because Mike never like through the whole film. Mike is only ever having one way conversations with David's character Roger. He never gets he never gets anything in return. He's just he's talking to a one way mirror.
1: Yeah, that's true. So that was really nice to actually talk to him at the end of a day. <laughs> Uh it's interesting that you bring up
2: the music because you're all musically gifted. I mean Jerry, you've just released your first album and and Mike you've done quite a bit of music theater. Uh so so did music obviously music played uh, quite a role behind the scenes uh, while making the pretend one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <I guess. laughs>
0: uh yeah, I guess so. I mean, I think Tony, you can probably talk about this, but funnily enough I think I got the job because I could sing even though I didn't sing in the film. Um, at all, but uh, I think. To, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Tony, you saw a video of me singing, and you were like, "Oh yeah, she'll do." <laughs> um, <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't think it was. I don't think it was as as cut and as blatant as she'll do. But no, I saw. i when I was casting, I went through a bunch of audition tapes and saw them read, and Jerry did an amazing read. Um, but when I, you know, when I was scouring around for other work, I saw Jerry recorded what was it, Daughter? Um, oh, she yeah, did,
0: yeah.
3: Um, this song. It was just a cover just, of a song. And it was beautiful. And it was a song that I thought really tonally uh, fit with the film. So I guess I'm, I can't play any music, but I, I listen to music and music really helps me creatively find a tone. It helped me write the script with James Rowie. You know, it helps me slot into, slot into the world. And one of these songs Jared actually did a cover of, I was really moved by it because it was the exact tone. And I thought that helped me, you know, that kind of made the decision pretty clear uh, once I'd seen that. And Mike, had also,
0: for,
3: oh, oh, yep. Go for it.
0: I was going to say you also gave us um, like a playlist of stuff that you'd been listening to when you guys had written it um, and like, we would all listen to like Mike and Ben and I would listen to songs to like get us in the vibe for different scenes. And there wasn't much, um, there was no internet or like phone reception or anything. So it was just like what someone got downloaded on their phone. And so there was kind of a very limited supply of stuff. But, um, I think because there wasn't a lot of connection with the outside and, you know, Dave had his mandolin and his guitar and, Yeah, we ended up just sitting around like playing stuff and singing most nights or listening to things that people had on their phones. And yeah, it became a way of getting into the world but also like letting go of it at the end of the day. It's beautiful.
2: You're listening to the Cinema Australia podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at cinemaaustralia.com.au. Um, so I want to bring up uh, mental illness uh, And and I welcome everyone to have their say here uh, The pretend one is this romantic drama with hints of comedy But at its core is this uh, young woman who's suffering severe hallucinations Really, uh, for reasons we won't go into Because it could give some things away But how aware were you, Tony, in your approach to Charlie's mental illness uh, Not to misrepresent it?
3: Um, I think it's a I think it's a difficult one because we, you don't kind of want to give it away and you don't want to be heavy handed. I mean, films that I really referenced hard with this film was never let me go, which is a beautiful film, but also Lars and the real girl. Mm. And I think it sat in that world where Lars and the real girl, you know, it plays with mental illness, uh, quite beautifully. Uh, realizing that there's an issue and realizing that there's a problem and realizing that has to be, you know, that there needs to be a solution or even just becoming aware of it, I think is probably one of the biggest issues Mm. because, you know, for most of these film, you, you don't think that there's anything wrong. And, and I guess that's the key to the, to the twist is you don't think that there's anything wrong. You just think this is a, you know, this is a friendship that's lasted probably longer than it should. Mm. Um, and so I think you always have to be quite careful with it, but you also don't want to over-prescribe mm. in a story um, because it. I guess I think the clinical element of mel- mental illness will combat, I guess, the romance of the, you know, the love story, mm. in, you know, so to speak. So I tried to handle it very delicately, very minimalist, um, and I guess let the audience... Project their own ideas and own experiences onto you know onto the film rather than telling them what it's about yes um, yeah making them a bit more active i guess
2: mm. uh Mike Jerry, do you want to add anything well
1: well from from my perspective I, I i didn't attack it I don't even feel qualified to to it to answer really but (laughs) from my my (laughs) my character's perspective like i i just had to attack it from a place of absolute reality so there was never any question of of that style like is is uh charlie hallucinating me and is she uh, mentally disturbed for having done so mm. uh, that mm. wasn't even a question for me I'm just going to handball it over to Jerry
0: <laughs> <laughs> caught it um, I, I uh, in the same way that Mike had to attack it from a place of him being a real person I also had to endow him with a realness because for me he was real and mm. And is real continues to be real in this story. So you know, um, I guess it, yeah, it, it becomes tricky when uh, Ben's character comes into it, and uh, I'm sort of dealing with two realities. And I think that's when your brain starts to go fizzy and sort of um, <laughs> explode. <laughs> uh, and that, and but, but she's not in a world where mental illness is talked about. She's not in a world where much of anything is talked about. She kind of exists in her fantasy world. And I guess the whole point of the film is that she, um, it's her coming of age story. It's her growing up and and learning to um, exist as a whole person and not be sort of split off in this Charlie and Hugo To kind of entity thing Mm. um I don't yeah I I never felt like I was sort of worried about um uh, interpreting it in a weird way I think because the script was just really clear and I could feel her journey very clearly and the trauma of that and the the um the difficulty in handling those two realities, but it it just feels like a very specific situation. And I wouldn't look at her and go, well, she's schizophrenic or Mm. she has a multiple personality disorder or, you know, Mm. it's just a very specific situation that's because she's so isolated. And I don't know, you always want to approach characters as, um, as empathetically as possible and not judge them too much. And I sort of never wanted to stand outside and be like well this is what's wrong with her and you know I think um it was just about following the story and that was really clear and um and hopefully I mean yeah I I mean ideally you want people to watch it and empathize with it and go oh I've experienced something like that in my life and I sort of understand that or I connect to it and you know, hopefully that happens. But um, yeah, I'm not sure if that
2: answered the question. But, it does. Yeah. You all did. You all did good. <laughs> um, speaking of the isolation, uh, Tony, can you tell us, uh, you know, why the film is set on on a cotton farm? I mean, I can't imagine it uh, being set in a city. But uh, why the cotton farm?
3: Uh yeah, good question. I, I, when I was at my second film school, when I was at Afters, um. Where you're there 60 hours a week, so I was super broke, um, struggling to make money. So in the mid-semester break, I actually went out. This is my friend's farm. I went out and did a cotton harvest. So I did this uh, in, my, in my break at, at afters, um, and I found just such an inherent beauty in the cotton field. Like, you know when you go to a place and it just has a feeling – um, this had such a romance to it, and that was about the time when I started writing *Imaginary Friend*, and I and I knew it has to, had to be isolated because Charlie couldn't have contact with a lot of people. She had to be isolated for, you know, to continue to exist for the for a reason of not being able to talk to people. Mm. And but I also wanted it to be you know beautiful and romantic, and I wanted it to be a love story. And I think the cotton fields, when I saw them at sunset and they glowed, you know, they light up. I just thought there's, there's no other place that this can be set. Um, so, yeah. And, and, and it's, you know, so I lived it. So I, I basically did what they do, what they're doing most of the time when they're working.
2: Uh, it's captured beautifully and uh, it was shot in 20 days. Is that right?
3: Yeah. So pretty quick.
2: Did you have to do anything out of the ordinary to make those time restrictions work for you?
3: Um, we all worked pretty hard, that's for sure. Um, we all we all worked very hard, actually. And it, I guess it was one of those things that because we didn't have phones, we didn't have the outside world, I really, and we had a really young, hungry crew who hadn't made a lot of long form, and everybody was relatively inexperienced. I mean, it was my first film, um, and everybody, I think, was kind of under 30, except for a few people um, and Dave Field. Uh, So I think that brought a lot of energy, um, a lot of hunger to do good work. And it kind of kept pushing us through the fact that we sat there and we bonded. um, And so, yeah, so we did a lot of big days and it was extremely difficult, but I guess we're also blessed. Nothing went wrong. Like everything went our way um, and it just, if anything, if anything had to happened, we would have been derailed. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so every day I'm just crossing my fingers and, it, you know, it all just kind of fell into place. And,
0: and so, I guess because we were staying there as well, you know, yeah. it's not like you're travelling an hour to get to set every day. You, you wake up and you walk out the door and you're there. <laughs> you're on set. So <laughs> yeah. um, I guess that probably saved a lot of time too.
2: Uh, Mike, can you tell us about working with Tony on his first feature film?
0: Yeah,
1: um, on our day off, which was Sunday, we (laughs) are supposed to have a day off and we're talking about having, you know, being on set. We're we're living on set essentially and we're out sort of um, water skiing on a man-made lake and, you know, having a couple of drinks and things and then there's a perfect light suddenly and the filmmaker and Tony and a lot of the crew go, well, actually we could pick up a shot um, on that (laughs) on our wonderful day off at five PM. Let's go do it. Who's um, who's keen? And they sort of looked to they looked to uh, us who the the cast that was it. and they said, are, are you guys sort of up for it? Um, <laughs> possibly wasn't quite kosher. But you have to go, Well yeah, I'm in, I'm here, so let's uh, yeah. let's do it and let's <laughs> let's get involved and get the shots and let's make this Let's make this thing. That was unorthodox.
3: Oh, you're making me sound like a slave driver, Mike. Was I, was I that bad?
0: No, great. We're in on it. Just Do opportunistic. It. Yeah, we're in the trenches.
2: Yeah. Um, Tony, how does it sit with you to have the film compared to Drop Dead Fred? Because I've, I have mentioned it in my review and I've noticed someone else has mentioned it recently. So how, how does that sit with you?
3: I think it's fine. I mean, Drop Dead Fred is... Probably the greatest imaginary friend film ever made. Um, so to, to get to sit in even a, the same conversation as Drop Dead Fred, you know, I'm over the moon. Um, and I guess you know there was there was elements that I took from Drop Dead Fred. It was also lessons that I that I didn't want to do from Drop Dead Fred. Um, you know, especially especially guiding Mike's performance. Um, you know. I guess it's that how wacky and how zany can you go and yet still pull it back mm. and him be a, you know, a valid kind of option for love with Charlie. Um, but yeah, listen, I'm over the moon. I, I appreciate being put in the same category.
2: And you just said the greatest uh, imaginary friend film. It's actually the second now after the pretend one.
3: man, Buttery <laughs> <the> wheel.
0: <laughs> 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 oh yeah, goes <ghost. laughs> um, tied for first. Tied for
2: yeah. uh, Jerry and and Mike, what are you hoping uh, audiences uh, take away from the film? Because it is having its world premiere. Uh, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be this week. So, uh, what are you hoping audiences take away from it?
0: Warm, fuzzy feelings, and that they want to go see more Australian films in the future, and that they'd like to see this one in cinemas. Yeah, that,
1: yeah, absolutely. That's a good call. I, I just hope they, I just hope they have a great time and go. Well, yeah, I had an imaginary friend, so I can relate to that. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and I've also fallen in love before. I can relate to that, and I've been isolated before and can relate to that, and. I hope that they have a good laugh and they have a good cry also, because it's all part of it.
2: Mm. Uh, Tony?
3: Um, I I hope audiences, yeah, get the warm and fuzzies, but I also hope they think, I hope they come out and see that there is still beauty in the world. There's selflessness, there's love, there's romance, you know, there's also, there's magic um, in this world that kind of seems like there's a lot of dark days. I, I hope they, they realise that there's still beauty. Um, I guess is one of the reasons why I like making films like this, uh, because I think there is still romance in the world and people just need to see it.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you've all created something magical and, uh, and very, very special. Uh, I wish this film all the best uh, going forward. And thank you very much to the three of you for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. Thank oh, you. thanks,
3: Matthew. Thanks, Matthew. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks for reminding me of my character's name. <laughs>
2: and just again uh, that's Charlie it
0: was all worthwhile
2: (laughs) thank you very much guys Bye. bye thank you for listening to the Cinema Australia podcast you can subscribe to this podcast on both iTunes and SoundCloud for all the latest Australian film news, reviews, features and interviews, you can visit www.cinemaaustralia.com.au. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube at CinemaAustralia. Australia.